Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 56. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they'd done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognised them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they'd found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognised him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. Okay, t- today's Bible reading is one of the most significant passages in the whole of the New Testament. That's a pretty big call, and I don't think I would have personally made that call, but Jesus is the one who draws our attention to this. Out of all of the miracles that Jesus did, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 are the two miracles that Jesus said should have made it clear to his disciples who he actually was. Now, throughout the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be getting this picture of the disciples seeming to be this 
bunch of blokes who are just bumbling along, being completely unaware of who this Jesus bloke really is. Jesus keeps demonstrating who he is by the things that he does and the things that he says, but they just don't seem to be getting it. So let me give you the ultimate spoiler before we even begin, and it should be no surprise because we're given this spoiler right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark as it was, as it was introduced. The ultimate message of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? The whole purpose of the Gospel is to get us to be able to see this. And... Um, that's what the feeding of the 5,000 was supposed to reveal. That's what the feeding of the 4,000 was supposed to reveal. Now, having actually said that, and we read about it in the Bible reading today, we're actually not going to get to it today. Um, I've decided we're gonna, I'm going to split this message in half. So we'll get half of it today and half of it next week. So we begin at verse 30. Jesus sent the disciples out on mission. They, they preached the need to repent they cast out many demons, they healed the sick. And now in verse 30, they've come back to Jesus and he says to them, look, it's time for a bit of time out, right? It's time to just come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. By the way, probably the last place that any of us would want to go at the moment for a bit of a rest is somewhere described as a desolate place. We'd probably picture Hebel or Bolin or something like that. I mean, coming at, at the end of this um, week of 40-odd degree days, at the end of a year where we only got 60% of our average annual rainfall, we're sort of pretty much over desolate places at the moment. But, but the desolate place that Jesus was going to take his disciples to, it wasn't a desert, all right? There's a couple of ways this word can be interpreted. Uh, it wasn't a desert. They sat down on green grass beside a freshwater lake, for goodness sake, right? It wasn't a desert. It was an unpopulated place. He took them out for a bit of rest and recreation and retreat away from it all. Now, that actually sounds pretty inviting, doesn't it? Would anybody like to join them? Would anyone like to join Jesus and the disciples for a nice little restful retreat on the shores of a freshwater lake with green grass? Sounds good, eh? Now, there are two common errors when it comes to Christian retreat, rest, and recreation. Some of us want to have way too much of it, and some of us never have any of it. And so some of us get burnt out because we never stop, and some of us, well, we never get lit in the first place. I want, I want to say to you today, it is a necessary thing, it is a good thing, to have time out away from work. It is a good thing to have time out away from constant ministry. When's the last time you heard your minister say that from up the front, hey? Listen, you lot, you all need a rest. You're doing too much for God. Stop and have a bit of a rest. Have you ever heard that from the pulpit? No, we're usually cracking the whip, aren't we? Hey? There's a time for that, but there's also a time for rest. There's a time to rest from evangelising. There's a time to rest and be away from constant ministry and from the regular serving we usually do week in, week out. It's good sometimes to just be instead of do. And always having to do and keep on doing. It's good to be alone with God. It's good to be alone with other Christians and to just have a bit of a rest for a while. By the way, um, 
This message may seem completely self-serving to some of you because you probably know that in one week and one day, Robin and I are going to go away for two weeks. Now, you might think that, oh, Michael planned all this very carefully. So this, No, I did no such thing of the kind. God, we just start at the start of Mark and we just keep working our way through and it's come up now. And, but in a week and a day, Robin and I, were heading to the beach. In the morning, I'll go for a bike ride. Robin will go for a walk and then we'll sit down and rest and relaxation, read a book. Sounds good. And guess what? That's okay. It is good, and God is good, that he allows us to have time out and to have rest. It's not selfish. I can have a break without being selfish, and you can have a break without being selfish too. This was the practice that Jesus used to, used to do himself, and it's the practice that he tried to pass on to his disciples. The problem comes, though, is sometimes we get a little bit all too precious about our time out. Um, some pastors I know are militant, militant about protecting their day off. They fiercely guard their day off and, and nothing can, is ever allowed to interfere, interfere with it. No pastoral crisis, no opportunity minute to minister can ever interfere with them having their day off. The church phone, well, it's put straight through to the message bank, so no messages are taken. Somebody knocks on the door, Pastor, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know. What, what can God do? And oh, I'm so glad you popped in. It's my day off today, but come back tomorrow and we'll have a chat. Now, now some of you think that I'm making this up. It's not. I'm not. This is true. This is true. It is important for pastors to have a day off, but sometimes we fiercely guard it. And we're very protective of our day off. I know other ministers who, when they're on holidays, they would never go to church because they're on holidays. And, and going to church, well, that'd be work. And um, they, they, they think that visiting their Christian brothers and sisters and worshipping with them is work. And they can't do it because they're on holidays. By the way, I, I do hope that when you're on holidays, that you don't have a holiday from church. Uh, in my experience, it's just the most wonderful thing when you're away, just to go and, go and visit another church and, and connect with some brothers and sisters in Christ who perhaps you've never met before. And what I love is going to some of these places and they'll just invite you home for lunch and, and you just really connect with these people. And, and because your brothers and sisters in Christ, they, sometimes they just seem like people that you've known forever even though you've just met them. And you, do, you have known them forever because you've got the same Heavenly Father. You're going to spend eternity with them. It's just wonderful. Robert and I, um, I think we already know the two churches we're going to visit while we're away for our two weeks. And, um, but who knows? God might bring something else up. So it is a good thing to have time out. But you know what? Because God is God... Sometimes he breaks into our plans. And because God is God, he has every right to do that. Sometimes when you go somewhere to just be alone and to just get away from it all, sometimes God will completely upset your um, restful plans because he'll bring somebody along to break into your solitude. 
Yes, it is good to have time out, but sometimes a God-ordained opportunity presents itself and it just completely interrupts our retreat. Now, at that point, we've got a choice we need to make. Am I going to connect with what God is doing in this person's life and allow God to use me, or am I going to be selfish and be all very precious about having my time out? I sat down on a plane once from Sydney to Moree. I don't get to go away very often, but I did have a chance to go away to a church conference. And after a very busy week, I was actually pretty tired, but now I was on the home straight. I was just going to be on this plane from, from Sydney to Moree, and then I'd get in my car, and from there I think it's only, what, about two and a half hours or something from Moree to here. And I think, okay, I'll just have a bit of time out, maybe a bit of a snooze on the plane as I go. But instead, before the plane even left the tarmac, from that time, right through until the time we disembarked, I had this non-stop God conversation with this lady from Gundawindi who, who wasn't a believer, but it was obvious that she was seeking God. And I believe God did something in her heart that day. Was this an interruption to my time out? Of course it was. But you know what? It was also the highlight of my day. Why? Because it's so satisfying to see God at work in another person's heart. And it is exciting. Exciting. I can't build this enough. It is exciting to, to be the one that, that God uses to have this conversation with this person. In Acts 24... We're told that God has determined the place and the times where each of us will live. The exact places and the exact times when we'll live. And he does this for a purpose. So that we would seek him and perhaps reach, for, for, reach out for him and find him. Do you know that God does this for every single person? Every single person you come in contact with. The people who you think, oh, they're close to God. The people who you think, oh, they're far away from God. Guess what? Both those groups of people. God has put them. He has determined the places that they will live. He has determined the times that they will live. Because for that person, that's going to be the best chance for them to come to faith in God. Have you ever realized that? This is so. Because the scriptures say so. But you know what else it tells me? tells me that sometimes God is doing this for another person when he brings them into your life, even when it's only for a moment, and even when it's only for a little while while you think that you're supposed to be having a bit of time out and having a bit of rest and retreat. And he does this so that you can impact this person for him. This meeting that you're having with this person is a meeting of eternal significance. And you're a part of it. They may very well interrupt your time out. They may interrupt your quiet time. They might interrupt your Bible reading. They might even interrupt your prayer time. Can you imagine this? Lord, I 
just pray that you'd give me opportunity to share your faith. Excuse me, can you be quiet? I'm just praying. Yeah. God interrupts our prayer time. And that's what God does. For a fleeting moment, he brings one person into the sphere of another person because one of these people knows him and the other one of these people is seeking him and perhaps in this encounter where these two people are brought together, the one who's seeking him might reach out for him and find him. And you might be here thinking, well, thinking, well that'll never happen to me because I'm not the right person. Well, let's, let's just let God be the judge of that. If God is the one who's brought you into the, and this other person together, well, maybe God might be saying something to you here. Well, guess what? You are the right person to have this conversation. No, you don't have to deflect it to your pastor. No, you don't have to deflect it to somebody else who's more spiritual. God has chosen you for a reason. And there's no hard work here. There's no massive amounts of planning or preparation required. All we have to do is recognise that, hey, this is a God thing that's happening. How often have we sort of wondered, hmm, is this a God thing? Nah, it can't be. Well, how about we go with, it must be. It must be. All we have to do is recognise that it's a God thing that's happening here and make ourselves available. Don't be all precious about having your time out. Yes, Having time out is a really good thing. I'll tell you something that's even better. It's when God makes an opportunity for you to have an impact in another person's life. And that's what's happening here. Jesus has organised this lovely retreat for his disciples. They're in a boat. They're out on the water with Jesus, water lapping the sides of the boat, and they're Heading across the shore, they can see that green stuff there at the foot of the hills that they're heading for. And it's an isolated place, hardly anyone around. Ah, oh, it's going to be so special. But then somebody on the shore goes, hey, isn't that Jesus? Hey, everyone, that's Jesus. Let's go. And as a story, sorry, and then they hot-footed around there. It, it looks like that might be men. So the Bible does say men. It doesn't mention the women and children. There may have been some women and children, um, but it seems pretty obvious that there's probably mostly just men because what they do is they leave from basically the same spot as Jesus and they hot-foot it, they hike around this lake. And now this lake, it's, it's about 16,500 hectares, which is about 41,000 acres in the old money. And they manage to get around to the other side on foot before Jesus and the disciples got there in the boat. Um, and as the story unfolds, I get the impression that the disciples were actually a bit disappointed. They've been looking forward to this restful time out, but now it just all abruptly ends. And, and as we read it, we can just see that, hey, Jesus, how about it's time to send them away now? You know, we want to get back to our time being alone. That's not what it says. They don't actually say that, but that's the impression I get as I read it. And they're none too pleased that the masses had gate-crashed their retreat. But we're told that when Jesus saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. They had no direction. Now, I want to make a point here. Not every unbeliever 
is like a sheep without a shepherd. A sheep without a shepherd is someone who is genuinely seeking God. Right? These people had done a solid march to get around to the other side of the lake to see Jesus, right? They were seeking God. And I want to make this distinction because there is a time for preaching. There is a time for standing on the street corner and calling everybody, everyone to repentance before God. But then there's also a time for rest and solitude. A time to have a spell from, from preaching on the street corner, if you like. But if God brings someone who is genuinely, genuinely seeking him into your place of rest and solitude, well, forget about your rest. The most encouraging thing for you at this point is to connect with what God is doing and have an impact of eternal significance for him. Anyway, Jesus has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. What did he do for them? Did he set up a clinic so that he could counsel them? Nope. Did he create a safe place for them and run a few relational building activities to build relationships? Nope. Did he go and have pastoral conversations with each and individual person? No. Did he have a time where everybody could share their feelings so that everybody could feel that they were being fully involved in what was unfolding? No. What did Jesus do? He taught them. And he didn't just teach them for 20 minutes or so. He had so much compassion for these sheep in need of a shepherd. We're told that he taught them many things. And he is still going when it grew late. Good teaching is so very important for God's sheep. This church, Bush Disciples, is unashamedly, primarily a teaching ministry. Uh, if you don't like being taught the Word of God, you're, you're in the wrong church, because um, that's mainly what we do. Teaching. Teaching the way to Jesus. Teaching the ways of Jesus. Teaching the way of discipleship it is so important. All sheep need to be shepherded shepherded and how does shepherding happen through teaching now to some of us this will be very appealing because we love the word of God we love to be taught from the word of God but others not so much some of us don't like to be taught some of us don't feel the need to be taught I'll let you know a little secret I need to be taught. I need to be shepherded. Some of you may wrongly be under the impression, Michael just knows all this stuff and he can just get up each week and speak. Not at all. It takes me two full days to prepare each weekly message. Each week before I preach, I read the scriptures. Over and over and over again, I read them, seeking God and praying that he will teach me through his word. And then I read commentaries. There are highly respected Bible scholars, people who have made it their life's work to learn and to teach the word of God. 
And I find these very, very valuable. They teach through their commentaries, and I read these commentaries so that I can be taught the Word of God. Sometimes I get the opportunity to listen to recorded sermons so that I can be taught from other preachers. And why do I do this? Because without good, solid Bible teaching, disciples of Jesus are like sheep without a shepherd. Me included. I need to be shepherded. And you need to be shepherded. I need to be taught the ways of God. And you need to be taught the ways of God. That's why Bush Disciples began. Out in the bush, there are lots of sheep scattered throughout vast regions, and sometimes these places are of minute population density. These sheep can be spiritually very lonely, and they need to be shepherded. They're disciples who need to be taught. Big city churches tend to have plenty of resources to feed their sheep every week, but who's going to feed the sheep out in the bush? And that's why God brought bush disciples into being. I have a bit of a smile every time I see a bush disciples bank statement of donations that people have made to support what we do here. And no, I don't smile because there's been an enormous income. Um, We're actually very small. And in fact, there's only enough to part-time fund this ministry. I'll tell you why I smile. There's one couple who um, live away from here now, but every week they download the message and they listen to it, and they also just always telling other people who live out in the sticks about about this uh, ministry resource it's about. Um, but they support us by tithing regularly, and they support us with direct deposit. And in the details common column, they put fed sheep. All right, so there on the bank statement, it's fed sheep is where that donation comes from. Don't you love that? Fed sheep. I love it. What it is, they really value Bible teaching and the teaching that God provides and the availability of this for people out in the bush. And so they support us by tithing. By the way, for those who are listening to this, um, If you value this Bible teaching for people out in the bush, you can support us too. We don't often ask for this, but I just think this is an opportunity. Um, You can support us, support what we're doing in the name of Jesus. Just go to the website, bushdisciples.church, and you'll find out how to support us there. But sheep without a shepherd need to be taught. You need to be taught. I need to be taught. People in the city need to be taught and people out in the sticks need the teaching of Jesus too. If the people of God do not have a diet of good, solid Bible teaching, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, me being an ex-sheep farmer, I sort of started thinking, well, what do sheep without a shepherd look like? What happens to them? Or some will stray. Some will go where they think the picking seems green. They'll put themselves in danger of being attacked by wolves. Sometimes they'll just hang around the water trough and they don't move even when they need to move. If nobody's looking after them, they get worms, they get fly blown. 
and they get lost. But something Dad taught me about mustering sheep is sheep always like to walk into the wind. And so if you go out to muster a big paddock and you're wondering where the sheep might be, well, just assume that they've walked into the wind and they'll be up that end of the paddock. And over the years, my experience has been, well, that's been pretty much exactly the case. Now, of course, in a smaller paddock, that all falls over because they walk until they hit the fence, then they turn around and walk back the other way again. But the point I'm making is sheep without a shepherd, just left to their own devices, follow the wind. That's what they do. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful schemings. Without teaching, without shepherding, we're at the risk of following the wind of teaching that isn't the gospel. It's easy to stray. We just wander off after a little bit of green pick. We get a few feel-good platitudes of no substance and they easily distract us. You see, good solid teaching, it, it, it keeps our faith strong. It urges us into mission. It guards against false teaching and destructive heresies. And, and it always, always keeps Jesus Christ at the centre. A pretty common pattern is sheep without a shepherd very quickly fixate on themselves and they wander off in their own direction, whereas the shepherd holds us together. Righto. So Jesus was a shepherd to them. He taught them a lot. It got late. They'd been spiritually fed. Then it was time for a physical feed. And this is where we're going to leave it. We'll leave it up in the air um, until next week. And we're going to pick up again with the feeding of the 5,000. But the lesson for today is rest. Rest in Jesus. But be available for God. Right? So we're talking about rest with readiness. How's that? Rest with readiness and understand the importance of good biblical teaching for spiritual growth. I need it. You need it too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift you give of rest. Sometimes we get so fixated on our work. Or we get so fixated on our ministry. We get so fixated on everything we do and we forget to just be. And Lord, I want to thank you that you lead us to places of rest. You lead us to moments of time out 
you restore our soul. And Lord, just as the moment of rest for those disciples was the journey with you in the boat, Lord, be with us in our journeys. And as we rest. But Lord, help us to never be selfish. Help us to never be precious or fiercely protective of this rest. Lord, we are yours. We belong to you. Time is yours, and what we consider our time is yours. Even our restoring rest is yours. And Lord, we are willing for you to break into our rest so that we can be used by you to bring someone who is seeking you closer to faith in you. And Lord, we want to thank you that you don't leave us as sheep without a shepherd. We thank you that you provide teachers to keep us as your flock. And Lord, we want to thank you for all of those teachers who over the years have continued to guide us and keep us on the path of discipleship. And for these people who have urged us on in mission and kept us on the straight and the narrow. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. And we ask that you would continue to teach us as our shepherd, in Jesus' name. Amen.